Would you turn your Bible, please, to John, the sixth chapter? John, chapter six. So thankful that the Lord has that voice committed to Him. Wasn't that a blessing? Thank you so much, Brother Jim, for reminding us. And I'm sure there are a lot of students here who are glad when you reminded us that school days would soon be over <laughs> and we'll be faced to the Lord. John chapter 6, reading verses 30 through 37. John chapter 6, verses 30 through 37, please. May we bow together in prayer a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for the excitement of meeting on the Lord's day. And we just sort of feel like saying in our hearts, safely through another week, Thou hast brought us on our way. And we thank Thee for every way Thou hast take, taken care of Your people. We pray Thou will bless those who are in sorrow and those who need thy comfort and grace. We pray for God's hand upon each person who has walked through valley times and those who are ill. And now may the Holy Spirit point our church, our people, our individual lives to see what the world really needs. May we be led by the Holy Spirit to understand the scripture. May someone who has never been saved come to Christ today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I failed to mention earlier that we want to remember Mrs. D.C. Chandler in prayer. Her sister died and the funeral is Tuesday. Let's remember this dear Christian friend, member of our church, for God's hand upon that family. Reading from John chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I want to speak this morning on the subject, what the world needs is Jesus. If you should go across this world today, you would find confusion and chaos and consternation. People not knowing what they really need. Almost any city you would travel in around the world, you find deprivation and difficulties and people not knowing what to do, which way to turn. I think of what they've told us about India. You go through some of those major cities of India and you find 
thousands of people sitting on the side of the highways begging their bodies starving to death all of us have seen the visions and pictures on television and in the papers about Africa all across Africa starvation Ethiopia I remembered going through the streets of Egypt of Cairo and uh, Memphis and some other cities there a few years ago it was not so bad the last time I went I think we went a different route but one time when we entered that city there were literally hundreds and hundreds of little boys and girls looked like they were starving to death just we got in there at nightfall and they were just sleeping along the streets and you could see the bones of their ribs and your heart would go out to them it's that way around the world we think of physical hunger that's brought to our attention by the media but when you think of all the burdens this world has the heartaches the world has it just is nearly overwhelming the need for food for shelter for companionship for approval for accomplishment these are basic needs that all of us have and I'm sure that sitting in this very room today and listening by radio are folks who have those very serious needs in their lives and they're unfulfilled and they don't know where to turn they don't know what to do about it our world is in trouble everywhere you turn there's a crisis a crisis in South Africa a crisis in the Orient a crisis in the South Sea Islands there's a crisis among the races the blacks and the whites and the orientals and there's just confusion in our world political unrest crisis over the deficit you can't pick up the paper any day without reading something about the deficit and they want to keep it on the front burner all the time so we'll be aware of it everybody knows that we need to cut the budget but nobody wants to cut his part of the budget political unrest chemical leaks like the one in India where 2,000 people were killed just like that and, and they say that that could happen here in America There's, I don't know whether it's just a media alarm or whether that's real the communist crisis in Nicaragua and Afghanistan and around the world the life expectancy crisis the heart transplants and even there's an article in this week's paper saying is air travel less safe than it used to be this is the year of the air travel crash 14 or 1500 people just this far in 1985 have been killed in, autom in, in plane crashes personal relation crisis people can't get along with each other what does our world where is it going what what do we do about it even in the church there's a religious crisis I read in US News and World Report that the religious crisis is so severe that the various denominations are now turning to very all kinds of gimmicks and schemes to reach people now some of our people think it's uh, questionable to give awards and so on and 
give hamburgers out on the buses. I've heard people say they don't like that very much. How would you like what you read in, in U.S. News and World Report if you read it? They have dances in the church. They have rock bands uh, just to get the people there. And they're uh, uh, experimenting with all kinds of uh, pro uh, uh, approaches to religion that have nothing to do with the Scripture at all, nothing to do with getting people saved, nothing to do with anything except getting people there. Now, folks, I'd far rather get people there to hear the gospel than to get people there just to have some kind of a social uh, club or something like that. And uh, we just have a world crisis, and people seem to not trust one another. Some have suggested that in the churches that what we really need is to get all of a, one kind of culture together and they could uh, worship better together. Or you get all of one kind of economic group together, they could get along better. Uh, that seems to be the, uh, one of the basic uh, things where you group people together and so on. I want to suggest to you this morning that what our world really needs is Jesus. We don't need all of these other things. Now, they're all right. Certainly, we have a need for approval. We need, have a need for companionship. We have a need for accomplishment, all those things. But what the human heart really needs is Jesus. What this world really needs is Jesus. Some years ago, somebody wrote a little chorus. We used to sing it here. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of him. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of Him. He will bring joy and gladness, take away sin and sadness. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of Him. Religion seems to be on a holding pattern in America, according to a Gallup poll. Listen to this. They go on to say the 1980s may not be a very pleasant decade in which to live. George Gallup says that. And here's his reason. All signs point to the fact that the United States is suffering a moral crisis of the first dimension. Among the findings from the surveys, street crime has reached frightening proportions, with one in four Americans reporting they've been mugged, robbed, assaulted, or had their homes broken into over a 12-month period. Hundreds of school teachers are physically attacked each month, and also students. A youth survey found one teen teenager in five is fearful of bodily injury during school hours. Alcohol abuse and drug dependence among youth is reaching epidemic proportions, and cheating in schools and colleges appears widespread. Six in ten teenagers admit cheating on exams. Sixty-one percent of the Americans think businessmen's honesty and ethical standards have declined and the public is suspicious and distrustful of many institutions in our society. However, among 10 major institutions, more people, 65% of them, have confidence in the churches or organized religion than any of the other institutions, such as schools, televisions, newspapers, and so on. On the surface, Americans appear quite religious. 94% believe in God. 89% pray. 78% are religiously affiliated. 41% are in church on a typical weekend, about 90 million people. The evidence is that many parents and children alike are spiritual illiterates, he adds. And he gives only the vaguest answers when asked about central tenets of their faith. In the United States, 
Adults of all ages are flirting with a wide variety of movements and activities in an effort to feel fulfilled, including transcendental associations, sensitivity sessions, pyramid power, pendulum power, color psychology, astrology, tarot cards, organized uh, organic food, biorhythms, and so on and so on. Now that's something about the religious situation we face. People are confused. And I want to submit to you, in a world filled with strange actions and interactions and reactions, what our world needs is Jesus and what God's people need is to give them Jesus. And I want to suggest several things about Jesus we need to give them. Jesus is so precious. If you know him, he, he satisfies your heart. Now there are lots of people that may not know him. They know about him. They have a second-hand kind of religion. They've come to church and sung the songs of Zion and they've heard about him. They've seen a few people who seem to have really uh, the peace that passes all understanding. And they uh, like to be around that because they, they, they know they need it. But somehow there's no peace at all. There's no power. There's no contentment. There's no joy. Just a humdrum of life. Total dissatisfaction. And that's the reason the world says there are a lot of hypocrites in the church. I'm not sure that that's really true. There may be some. I don't know. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something isn't. I suggest that most people would like to be something that they aren't. <laughs> they really want to. They have high ambitions, high ideals. And one of the reasons people come to church is not just to show off. They don't come. They come because they're hungry. They come because they want to be filled. They've come because they want to be associated with some people who seem to know some answers to some of the riddles of life. But it's a sad thing. There are lots of the folks that come somehow never get fed or never get full, never get content. Somehow they go away as empty as they came. Maybe because they don't have open hearts. Or could it be that what they see in Jesus they don't want? There were people in the day in which Jesus lived who came near him and I've just read something from the sixth chapter of, of John where there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people surrounding Jesus. He, had, he fed 5,000 of them. There were many of them that walked with him. But there's a very significant verse in this sixth chapter of John. It's, it's strangely numbered John 6, 66. It says, from that time, Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now why? They certainly didn't see a hypocritical Jesus. They were with Jesus. They saw him. They recognized him. There's not one person that could go away and say Jesus wasn't what he said he was. He, he disappointed me. I thought it was going to really be something. But it's possible that what they were looking for in Jesus they didn't find. They first found one who fed them when they were hungry, and they said, this is what we want, yummy, yum, yum, yum. But in a little while, when he began to talk about the going being tough, and the demands of discipleship, they said, that's not for me, brother, and they went away. 
And so I want to suggest that we give the world the real Jesus. What the world needs is Jesus, not a fake Jesus. Not some kind of a curtain pulled down over a gooey, gooey, syrupy kind of a sentimental old kind of old time way. The other day in our Sunday school class, we were talking about how to get to heaven. And I made a series of little sheets that said the, the Episcopal way, the Baptist way, the Lutheran way, the old time way, the Baptist way. And I said to the men, which one of those ways is the way to get to heaven? And they wisely said, not one of them. You don't get to heaven the Baptist way or the old time way or the Episcopal way or the Lutheran way or the Catholic way. You get there the Jesus way. Just one way. Just one way. And his way is not easy. All the entrance, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man will enter in, he will have bread. He will have satisfaction. He will sup with me and I with him. But I want to suggest to you five things about the Lord Jesus that we need, that, that the world needs. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place needs today. We need it. These five characteristics of our Lord, Jesus, precious, precious Jesus. I like that song. I think somebody sang it recently. So precious is Jesus, my Savior and friend. I like that song, that stanza that says, he stood at my heart's door amid sunshine and rain and patiently waited an entrance to gain. What shame that so long he entreated in vain, but now he is precious to me. I kept him out there. I kept him waiting, but now he is to me all that he said he would be. I want to suggest to you what the world needs is Jesus, and this beautiful banner here will be here through the fall, and this will be our theme in these next months, what the world really needs, what Bowling Green, Kentucky needs, what Glendale Baptist Church needs, what every man, woman, boy, or girl within the, in the sound of my voice today, what we need is Jesus. And there are five things and characteristics about Jesus I'd like to just suggest very briefly this morning. Number one, the beauty of Jesus. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou Savior divine, Jesus, 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 there's something about that name. He is a beautiful person. And the thing that makes Jesus beautiful, beautiful is his purity and his holiness. In all of his understanding of human nature, Jesus never stooped to become involved in any of the things that human nature is involved in. He had a perfect relationship and fellowship with his Father. Now this Jesus was all human. He was all God. He was the God-man of eternity. He was tempted in all points like we're tempted, yet he did not sin. And when we think of Jesus, what the world really needs is Jesus. We need to see the beauty of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. God is holy. And they who come to God must, be, must come in holiness. We must take the shoes off our feet. Why is it, I'm speaking spiritually, why is it that one day when Moses was out there in the desert and the burning bush was there and God said, Moses, take your shoes off your feet. The place where you stand is holy ground. What made it holy? God's presence. And I want to tell you, you don't rush into God's presence and just sort of do a little dance in his face. 
You come with awe and reverence. And what the world needs is to see Jesus in all of his holiness, in all of his beauty, in all of his perfection. Secondly, what the world needs is to see the severity of Jesus. The severity of Jesus. Sweet little Jesus boy, born in a manger. Isn't that pretty? That doesn't tell anything about Jesus. I don't even like the song. You may like it, it's all right, fine, but that doesn't describe Jesus at all. Jesus was holy. He was all God. Jesus, Jesus was severe on sin. He hated sin, but he loved the sinner. There's a big difference. Jesus hates sin today, but he loves the sinner. And we need to see the severity of Jesus. One day they were, in the day in which Jesus lived, they had to offer sacrifices. Jesus did away with the sacrificial system when he died on the cross. But before the cross, they were still sacrificing. And the money people, the money changers, the market people came in near the temple, right in the temple out compound. And they were selling all of their, uh, their sacrificial, their, their little uh, uh, turtle doves. And, and they were selling their uh, lambs and their sheep and their goats. They were selling all of that because the people, when they sinned, had to come to the temple. And they had to buy something and then give it to the priest to offer as a sacrifice for their sins. Now these extortioners brought all of that stuff to the temple. And it might cost them Say here's an animal that cost them $25. Why, they'd sell that animal for $100. Here's a little, little dove. The poor people would offer that because they didn't have anything anymore. A little dove that might sell for 50 cents. Why, they'd sell it for $5. And Jesus came in and saw all of that going on at the money changers' desks. And he took scorpion whips. And he whipped them and told them to leave. His God's house would be a house of prayer of all men. Severity against sin. You just turn to the 23rd chapter of Matthew and find out about sweet little Jesus, boy. Listen to this. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Woe unto you, blind guides who say, Whoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor, you fools and blind. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have anointed and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to have leave, the, uh, leave the other undone. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like white, whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. That's just a little bit of what Jesus said. We need to present the severity of Jesus to the world. What we need to understand is that Jesus is not sweet little Jesus boy. Jesus is not some little meek person that sits over somewhere and, well, yeah, I understand all that. Sure, I understand that. I understand that. Well, I understand why you can't come to church. Oh, I understand why you have to get sexually involved in all that because you're weak. I understand all of that. Why, sure, I understand. I'm just a good, understanding, good old guy. Jesus isn't like that. 
And what the world needs to see is the Lord Jesus Christ first in all of his beauty and holiness and secondly in his severity. And thirdly, we need to see the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Jesus in all of his compassion, love. I wish I knew how to present Jesus in his compassion. One day the Lord was busy and some ladies, I think they must have been mothers, brought some little children to Jesus to bless them. And they were waiting there in line and the disciples went out and said, scram, scram, Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's busy taking care of the big people. After all, he's got to have the adults around him so he can get the offerings. Is that what he said? I want to know, is that what he said to anybody? Did he say that? He said, you have misunderstood. He said, except you become converted and become like these little children, you can't enter heaven. And he called the little children to him and sat him, put him on, on, his, on his knee, and he blessed them. Listen, beloved, God's going to take care of the money. I believe that. God will take care of the money. What we need to do is have the compassion of Jesus. You and I need the compassion of our dear Lord to reach out after people, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever their age is, and love them to Jesus. And let Jesus take care of the other things. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, you, you, you can't have, all these people have all these problems. Um, Here's so-and-so, and he's got this problem. Here's so-and-so, and he's got this problem. You read about this, and you read about this, and so on. And we just need people that don't have all these problems. Good, cultured, refined people. That's not who the Lord went after when he was here. And I want to tell you, you build a church like that, and you build a false church. I tell you that, you can get rid of this preacher. But you build a church like that, and you build a church that is not New Testament. It's a little club. The church that Jesus built had people in it with problems. One of the first people was Mary Magdalene. And the Lord went to Mary and cast some demons out of her. And she became one of the pillars in that first church. The church that Jesus built, he one day went into a place where there were, where there were a bunch of Sadducees and Pharisees. They were, now, you know who they were? A lot of folks today would, would identify well with them. They were the religious people of that day. Sometimes we talk about Pharisees and Sadducees, we think in our minds we're talking about gross sinners. We're not at all. The Pharisees and Sadducees were the, some of the most circumspect people that ever walked this earth. Why they wouldn't sin at all. You would never catch them in any kind of sin at all. Man, they were just perfect. They crossed their T's and dotted their I's just perfectly. One of them went up to the temple one day and prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. I thank you that I fast twice in a week and I pay tithes of all my income. And now, Lord, I do this and this and that. Lord, I do thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. These were the religious leaders of that day and we've got some of them today. Jesus went into their house one day to eat. 
And a woman, a prostitute, came into the house and came over to Jesus. You talk about embarrassing. She came over and started washing his feet. Now listen, the Lord was in perfect control of everything. Somebody could have said, ha ha, Jesus knows that woman. Well, I guess you know what about Jesus. Well, the Lord didn't care what they thought. He knew where he stood. And she started washing his feet, and they all looked at her, and they said, in their, in their thinking, see, they didn't say this out loud, they were scared to. They were scaredy cats. They said in their thinking, huh, if Jesus were all he said he would, were, he'd know what kind of woman this was, is, and he wouldn't let her do that. That's exactly what they said. And the Lord read their minds. And he said, uh, Simon, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. He said, to whom much is forgiven, that person loves much. This woman had been forgiven. And she came in and washed, the disciples, washed Jesus' feet. That's the kind of compassion the Lord had. You think of that man with a withered hand. All of his life he'd been a cripple. You know what we do? We avoid people like that. We push them off somewhere. We don't want to be around them much. Jesus sought that withered man out and healed him. Here was this man at the pool of Bethesda. He'd been 38 years. There was a tradition that said when the angel comes, at the first of the time the angel comes and troubles the water, the man that gets in there first will get healed. The Lord just ignored that tradition. And he said to the man, do you want to be healed? And the man said, Lord, I don't have anybody that cares. And I, I paraphrase it to say, Jesus said, friend, I care. And he didn't take him down to the water. Jesus spoke the word. He said, stand up, take up your bed, walk. Your faith has made you whole. We need to present the compassion of Jesus. Jesus loves. He loves people genuinely. Not a fake love. It's real love. Oh, Glendale Baptist Church, do we love a world that is in need? Do we really love enough to give a piece of bread when somebody's hungry? Somebody has a need and we say, well, I guess he doesn't work. Or send him down to the welfare. Send him to the Salvation Army. What about his food stamps and all those kind of things? I know that you can be used I know that people take advantage, but I want to tell you, I'd much rather be on the side of the Lord giving a piece of bread when it wasn't even needed than to find somebody that needs a piece of bread and I say, well, out of a whole old cold heart, I can't do it. We need the compassion of our Lord. That's the reason for years we had a clothing room. I know there are other places that have clothing rooms, a hotel and other places. I know about that and I thank God for it, but we ought to have one too. When somebody comes and says, I don't have any clothes, don't send them somewhere else. Say, we can help you. We can help you. We'll try to help you. If necessary, go get one of your suits and one of your coats. There's no reason in this earth why you and I should have three or four or five coats and here's somebody that needs something and we send them down somewhere else. Take your coat off and give it to them. That's what the Lord said to do. You say, preacher, you're being radical. Yes, I am. Jesus was radical. We need to show the compassion of Jesus. 
my friend, I want, to resp- I want to stand and salute Glendale Baptist Church. Some of our folks don't know a little bit about our history. This church never has had any money. If you, if you wanted to join a church that had money and didn't have any bills, you joined the wrong church. I should say that to everybody that ever tries to get into Glendale, because we never have had any money. We built everything we built on faith. And early in the church's life, when I first got here, there were people in our church that had needs, and some of our members were trying to help those people that had needs. I know that. Some of you early people know that. After we moved into this auditorium, we, we conserved and maybe didn't do wisely, I don't know, but we conserved and got a deal with the pews and the rug, and the rug wore out in two or three years. And, and for several years, we had indeed a holy rug here. Holy. I don't mean just a little bit holy. I mean it had holes in it. And one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen is Miss Noreen Brown and some others down here darning the, darning the rug. Do you remember that, Miss Brown? Yeah. They'd bring those old things over there and sew the rug together. You mean at Glendale Baptist Church? Yes. Yes, they did that. Put the rug together like that. Finally, we got enough money, borrowed enough money to buy a new rug. We've got it now. It's got some disfigures in it and so on. It needs to be changed. It needs to be fixed again. And needs I don't know whether they need to darn it or get a new one. <laughs> but I want to tell you, we've never had much. And we've never had a test of fellowship to see how much your bank account was before you could get in the church. Or to see what side of the tracks you came on or what kind of house you lived in or what kind of clothes you wore. Neither did Jesus. And I want to tell you, I don't believe the Lord will desert a church like that. I don't believe that. Now, some people might. Some people might say, well, I want to go to so-and-so church because they don't have that kind of problem. I'm going to go over because I feel more comfortable. I'm with people that are, that are just, they all have the same kind of money that I've got. That's fine. If that's what the Lord leads you to do, do it. But I want to tell you, what the world really needs is to see the compassion of Jesus incarnated in a people, in a people, in a church that can reach out to the city and to the world and say, God cares about you and I care too. And my friend, I believe that will honor Jesus. We need to see the compassion of Jesus. We need to see the peace. We need to present the peace of Jesus, the peace that passes all understanding. Now wake up and listen to me just a few minutes. I'll be through. <laughs> For some people to stay awake, you have to stand on your head. Check the choir. See how many of sleep this morning. All right, wake up there, lady. All right, thank you. Now, listen to this. There's a, there are storms all around us. Storms. In the day in which Jesus lived, they were out on the sea one day, and a great storm came up. And, and, and the Lord was walking the floor, chewing his fingernails, pulling his hair, and doing like this, and saying, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I better check the insurance and see if everything's okay. Is that what he was doing? Well, he wasn't doing that at all. And you know, some of the disciples were just like some of you. He was, Jesus was down there asleep. And they came down and said, wake up, Jesus, wake up, we're going to perish. Well, they weren't about to perish. There was just a little storm going on. And Jesus got up and said, uh, what's all the commotion about? Peace, be still. And then he rebuked those faithless disciples. 
we need to say to the world, sure, there's a storm. There are storms everywhere. But Jesus whispers peace. And he'll be with you till the storm passes by. J.H. Taylor, that dear beloved black pastor, who went through storms if there were ever storms. He was down there at Jonesville for years. Some of the old timers here in Bowling Green remember Jonesville before they built Dillard Arena and so on. And had a little church over there. And Western decided they needed it. They were struggling. They came in and, and, uh, and they piece by piece took all that property and finally they took the church. And you know what Brother Taylor could have done? He could have said, well, mean old Western University took our little old piece of property. They could have gone around as they've done something else. He didn't do that. He passing through the valley of Baca made it a well. And he said, you know, this is fine. I'm the only preacher in Bowling Green that gets to preach in Diddle Arena. And he had services in Diddle Arena until they could complete the church over there on Bloomfield. And then he went on preaching 40 years. And the main thing he preached, everybody will remember that ever knew him. It's all right. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Because he knew the Jesus that stilled the storms. My friend, we, what the world needs is the Jesus who steals storms. And they'll never know it until it's incarnated. He is incarnated in you and me who know him. And we give him to the world. Last of all, and I'll have to hurry. I had a lot more to say on various things. Last of all, we need to present the forgiveness of Jesus. He was on the cross. Next to him was a thief that railed at him. If you're really the Christ, come down and save yourself and us. On the other cross was a man deserved to be there. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. And he simply said, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Remember me. Do, Lord, oh, do, Lord, oh, do remember me. That's where that song came from. Remember me, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Just like that. No baptism, no proving it, no church membership. Jesus said, today. And that day they both died. And over in another world, that thief who had spent his whole life away from God at the 11th hour sought mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. And Jesus reached out in forgiveness. And so will he today to every man, woman, boy, or girl within the sound of my voice who wants forgiveness, who, who feels guilt, who needs cleansing. Jesus will cleanse you. What the world needs is Jesus. What you need is Jesus. If you'll open your heart to him, may we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank thee that Jesus is the beautiful Savior, the compassionate Savior, the severe Savior. He is also the Savior who gives peace and forgiveness. We pray that somebody today would receive him. In Christ's name, amen. May we stand, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come to thee. This is a God's invitation. It will not be long.
just very brief if you're here today and you need God's forgiveness you need the peace of Jesus you need whatever he has it's all available the rest of the passage I didn't get finished with said he that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and he that cometh come with your sins come with your hurts come with your heartaches come with your guilt but I want to tell you if you'll come sincerely repenting of sin repentance means hating sin turning away from it and turning to Jesus you'll find peace and pardon and purpose and forgiveness and cleansing and a wonderful life and a forever life would you come to Jesus today God help you to do it the blood of Jesus Christ God's Son cleanses from all sin let's sing together will you come